how terribly cliche uh, to quote Nigel from Ocean's 12 um, when he tells Linus over the phone to tell Danny that it's terribly cliche to have a sexy female assistant. And then he hangs up the phone and then his sexy female assistant comes around the corner. <laughs> this is 2023. You can't refer to women as sexy. Um, so yeah, how terribly cliche to click record on an 11 month hiatus with your podcast. Um, the first week of January, the resolutions are strong. Um, so yeah, here we are. Welcome to Muthanomics episode 54, I believe. And I got some explaining to do. Uh, lots of stuff transpired over the last year with me personally and it started in in January of last year uh, when my wife signed us up to be small group hosts or small group leaders at our local church to host a couple's Bible study once a week and when you filled out the application you had to write down like you had to answer the question what is something that God is, what's the main thing that God is doing in your life currently? And the thing that I wrote down was I believe the Lord's trying to teach me how to, he's trying to teach me the meaning of the ungrateful servant, the parable of the ungrateful servant. And if you're not familiar with that particular parable, Jesus tells the story, wait a second, I thought this was your economics podcast, not your faith podcast. Um, we're going to get there. He tells the story of this prisoner who was indebted greatly. Uh, and he owed an insurmountable debt to the ruler of the king of this country. And the king, out of the goodness of his heart, mercy, whatever, he forgives this guy's debt. And the dude gets out of prison and he goes and he shakes down. He sees some dude in the street that owes him, you know, like 40 bucks or something. And he goes and he shakes him down and demands that he pay him his debt. And the dude's like, I don't got the cash. Can you give me some time? And he says, screw you. And he has that guy thrown in prison. Well, word of this ungrateful uh, servant gets back to the king. And the king goes, dude, I, I forgave you an unpayable debt, an insurmountable debt. And you went out and shake this guy down for 40 bucks. Um, and so he throws him back into prison. All of that to say <laughs> that over the course of at least two decades, that has been deep down, that's been my modus operandi, covertly wanting to shake people down who owe me 40 bucks, so to speak, um, while trying to simultaneously claim that I've been forgiven an insurmountable debt. So that started to rock my world last January. And I decided to, instead of continuing to run away from that, I said, you know what, let's lean into this and embrace this and see where it goes. So I've been doing that for the last year and it's been uh, what you would expect, difficult, um, challenging, 
at times wanting to avoid it uh, because you're digging into experiences and uh, memories and things that have happened over the course of my life that some of them, many of them were not only, uh, they're not pleasant, they're borderline abusive and, and traumatic. Um, so I've been going through that and as I've been going through that, some light bulbs have been going off. Um, so I'm just gonna go through what a couple of those light bulbs are to set the stage for where uh, muthanomics is headed. Um, the first one came out, of the, came out of reading a book called The Body Keeps the Score, which is a tremendous book if you haven't read. Uh, if you haven't read that, I would highly encourage you Whoa, there was some feedback. I would highly encourage you to do that. Um, and the, the, there's several good nuggets in there, but the, the section that I think was the most transformative for me was he was talking about his experience counseling Vietnam vet veterans. And... He said that these veterans were continuing to struggle with extreme post-traumatic stress disorder, waking up with cold sweats, panic attacks, violent outbursts. And he would have these vets come in and they would sit down and talk to him. And he said the, the power was in they, they would recount these experiences of battle or of wiping out villages, killing just, just full-scale scorched earth on villages, killing women and children and using flamethrowers to burn the crops and the houses and just pure, absolute, unadulterated destruction. And he said that the soldiers would recount those stories but they would do so in a way that they felt the hearer of those stories should hear them so they they always told them with this filter on of i need to tell this story as i believe people would want to hear it so they would tell these stories oh you know we did these terrible things but it was just part of war and I feel really bad about it and you know I don't know what came over me and so they would they would they would recount these things as if in a way that they felt would make it palatable to the people hearing it and he said so long as they did that the they 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 stayed in the weight of the trauma they stayed in the post traumatic stress disorder and he said what he discovered was that the only thing that really gave a breakthrough to these men was when they began to just communicate what phone goes on focus. Holy smokes, blowing up this early in the morning. Jeez, popular fella here. Um, he said the only thing that caused a breakthrough for them and, and really freed them, began to free them from the trauma of that those experiences was when they honestly articulated what they were feeling in the moment 
And he said these soldiers began to tell him stories. And instead of saying, oh, it was so awful, and I can't believe we did it, and oh, you know, trying to make it sound better, he said when they started to tell it from the perspective of what they actually were feeling in the moment, he said it was the beginning of them being freed from that trauma. And you go, what do you mean? And he said to his shock, and he said he actually had to stop. Um, The first time a soldier did this, he said he had to stop the counseling session for his own sake. He said he was so overwhelmed um, that he asked that they needed to pause that for the counselor's own sake. But he said this soldier came in And instead of presenting these stories in a way that would make them more palatable to the hearer, he began to describe it just as he experienced it. And he started talking about how it was an out-of-this-world, out-of-this-body, crazy, thrilling, adrenaline-fueled rush of power. And he felt like God as he was just running roughshod over women and children and burning you know, palm-thatched houses and and destroying crops and fields. And he said that there was, he he talked about it in terms of a bloodlust and a bloodthirstiness, and he just couldn't get enough of it, and it made him feel just amazing in, in ways that he had never felt before. And that I can understand why the counselor was like, dude, I, 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 he said there's almost like this euphoria that came over the soldier um, as he was recounting what he was experiencing in that moment instead of trying to reframe it for how he thought people should hear it. And that really hit home with me, not because I've been a soldier, not because I've been in you know, battles and been in those sorts of military situations, but I have been in situations as a kid that... I have recounted in ways that I I retell those stories or I reframe those those experiences in ways that I want other people to hear them to make them more palatable. And so I, I started when I read that I said, okay, I need to go through and I need to just retell these stories. I need to I need to I need to articulate what I was feeling in the moment during some of these experiences in my past. And so I started doing that. I started just writing these down. Hey, when XYZ happened, this is what I was feeling. Um, And I went through a, a laundry list of experiences from my childhood, my adolescence, um, even into my my 20s and 30s of things that have happened that I've experienced. Um, and I, I, for the first time ever, was was honest in recounting what I was feeling during that time. And I got to be honest, I'm not going to share them. <laughs> because they're, they're, they're not palatable to the ear. Just like that counselor had to stop the session because it was like, whoa. Um, They're not palatable to the ear. But I did pick out a few of those and sat down with my wife and I said, hey, you know, you know that, you know, these things I experienced 
X, Y, and Z? She goes, yeah. And I said, but as part of this book and this healing of moving past this trauma, not getting stuck in the past, um, I need to share with you what I was feeling when those things were happening. And she was like, all right, let's do it. So she's the only one I've really shared uh, those things with. My point here is that is not to draw attention to, oh, yeah, sob story, muth. No, it's, it's, to, it's to give a personal testimony, so to speak, to the power of that, of that practice. Um, so that's the first thing I want to throw your way is removing the filter and honestly either speaking or writing down what you were feeling as you were going through difficult situations or traumatic experiences. Incredibly beneficial. Um, and one of the main premises of the body keeps the score is that those traumatic experiences, they freeze us in that time space. or so we're like perpetually stuck in the past. And by articulating what we felt, honestly felt as we were going through that, it helps our brain to categorize that as, hey, that was in the past, that's not present. And, and I can test, to, it's, it's weird how that works. The brain has, my brain has been recategorizing a lot of things um, as being, hey, that's in the past, that's not, that's not present. I, and, and, and I don't know how else to describe it other than the brain being stuck like you just are carrying that baggage from 30 years ago and you feel, even though you're 30 years down the road, internally you feel like you're still in that same exact situation. Um, by, by honestly articulating what I felt as I was going through that, instead of trying to reframe it for what I thought people should wanna hear to make it more palatable, um, my brain's been freed up to recategorize that and say, hey, that was in the past. It's no longer present. And it's been tremendously cathartic, tremendously helpful. So that's the first thing. Um, second thing is it reminds me of the scene from Forrest Gump when his, his uh, unit or whatever they called it, battalion, platoon, um, not, not super accurate with my military ling lingo as far as categorizing different uh, troop assignments or formations, but they come under attack and Bubba says, run, Forrest, run, um, just like Jenny used to tell him. And so, you know, he picks up and he just hightails it out of there. And he, he says, I ran so fast and so far, I realized I was by myself. Um, one of the things, the one of the things I have become very aware of over the last year is that in a lot of ways is where I ended up. Um, I started running from childhood poverty, from childhood abuse, from an alcoholic parent at a very young age. I started running from that and get into my late teens, early 20s and went through a very bad experience with mega church evangelical industrial complex in America and started running from that. And I realized last within the last year 
wow, I've been sprinting breakneck speed away from stuff for the last 30 years and don't even really know where I'm going. I'm just running away from something with no destination in mind. Um, so as I've stopped and, and just sort of stopped and been like, whoa, I've run a long ways and I've created a lot of distance from certain things that I wanted to run away from. Uh, but there was really no intent on where I was running. It was just a get away from. It was the classic fight or flight. So instead of staying and fighting, just flee and run with all your might, driven by fear, driven by panic, driven by uh, shame, driven by a lot of negative motivators to get away from stuff. And what I've realized over the last year throughout the process of the last year is that it's time to stop running and it's time to start actually thinking about where the direction is that I want to end up <laughs> and to uh, to draw out the Forrest Gump analogy even further I think I want to head back and actually try to provide some assistance to people that may have been running from poverty or childhood trauma or bad megachurch evangelical industrial complex experiences. So I'm, I'm, I'm poking my feet back towards where the attacks happened, so to speak, and trying to listen. Hey, Forrest, help me. And maybe I'll pick up a Tex and a Dallas and a Detroit and hopefully Bubba doesn't die in my arms on the way back. Um, well, that analogy kind of fell apart. No, I don't think it does. So that's the second thing I want to get across is, I, is I've stopped running and it's time to head back and offer assistance to people who have dealt with childhood poverty, childhood trauma, Alcohol, alcoholism with a parent, church abuse, basically the whole nine yards of, uh, of, you know, what all of that gunk entails. Um, so the, and then that leads me to the third thing, which is I can no longer operate completely separating my economics and business from my theology. <laughs> I've tried. I have tried for 20 years to keep my theology and my business separate. And the motivating factor for that was coming out of that bad megachurch experience was I, I carried with it an intense detestation for the putrid culture that can exist inside megachurch evangelicalism, which is where you use your Christianity, your faith, the eternal sanctity of faith and salvation and redemption as a marketing gimmick to increase your wealth in this world. And I saw that as an impressionable 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 year old. And the longer I was around it, 
the more I wanted to vomit. And so when I came out of that scene and started to run away from it, it was like, I am not going to do that. Because I saw over and over again, people in the church who were incompetent and who were inferior in their particular discipline, like just straight up free market related, they would have gone bankrupt. Just unfaithful, not like unfaithful like to their spouses, just unfaithful, inept in their business responsibilities. Um, bad business people couldn't manage expenses. Their expenses outstripped their incomes. Um, terrible customer service, flaky response times, delivering inferior products, missing deadlines. And yet, they continued to get business because their primary marketing tactic was this weird, distorted, mutated marketing mix of, oh, brother, I'm a Christian. Don't be unequally yoked with the world, so do business with me. And so these guys would leech on to these, these massive ministries that had ample funds to distribute and they would get these contracts and they would become vendors and they would take out ads in, in the Christian marketing magazines and the Christian radio stations and they would promote their business and their main pitch was do business with me because I'm a Christian. And I couldn't take it, man. I just couldn't take it. I was like, you guys suck. Like, literally, you should be bankrupt because you're terrible at what you do. Yet they continued to prosper because they, they played the Christianity marketing cheeseball card. And I just couldn't deal with it. So I ran away from that hard. And I was like, screw that. I am not going to use my Christianity as a marketing ploy to cover up my inability to provide a worthwhile product or service. Um, so that's, that's, where I've, that's where I've been running from for the last 20 years. And it's gotten to the point where I can't separate the two any longer. And that's not to say that I'm going to start saying, oh, listen to my podcast because I'm a Christian. Buy my plugins because I'm a Christian. No, I'm not going to go that route. But my theology needs to infiltrate my business and my podcast Otherwise, I'm, I'm a disjointed mess is probably the best way to say it. Um, because even though I've run away from using Christianity and my faith as a business marketing tool, I continue to really value theology and really value my relationship with God and really value the grace and mercy of Jesus. And... That, that's important to me. It's integral to me. It's the first thing I do when I get up in the mornings is I have a devotional time. I read the Bible. I read, uh, I love this guy named Charles Spurgeon. I read Spurgeon sermons. Um, I read a plethora of other Christian literature. And those thoughts and points and whatever, they influence me as a person, which naturally is going to trickle down into and permeate other areas of my life, including business. So um, so that's the third thing going forward here with Muthanomics 
is that the the faith and theology aspect of my life will be integrated into this podcast because if it's not, I'm just going to go crazy. <laughs> so that leads me to the fourth and final point of today's uh, episode 54. And it's the title that you see, um, Embracing the Power of Poverty. Oh my goodness, it's so offensive. You're white and have blonde hair and blue eyes. You have no idea. You can't talk about poverty. Um, I wrestled with the words on this a lot. At first, I was like, you know what? It's going to be called Understanding the Power of Poverty. I was like, well, you know, that's still kind of arm's length-ish. And that's something that that I have been more and more being prodded to get away from is trying to keep things at arm's length. So then I was like, all right, well, okay, maybe not understanding because we'll probably never understand. Um, it's kind of pretentious to say that you would fully understand a topic, um, especially something as complex as poverty, um, because how you know how the context of it, American poverty um, versus third world poverty you know american poverty on a global scale if you live in america on a global scale you're in the one percent globally so that's a complicating factor um you know and then how are you going to deal with people living on a dollar 65 a day um in other parts of the world so to say oh we're going to understand poverty it just felt a little pretentious and a little um arrogant because I don't think we'll ever fully understand any topic um, so I, I left that one and I said okay well understanding poverty is not the right one so then I went to exploring like let's explore it because that's more open-ended that's that's saying okay we'll just continue to explore this thing and it doesn't necessarily imply that we will have definitive answers and you know wrap up the put a nice little bow on it bink and say, hey, we got this one, we're done, we understand it. But if we explore it, it's just perpetual. It's in perpetuity, as someone might say. Um, that we are just exploring this topic and we'll see where it leads us. So I was just about to put it at exploring the power of poverty and it still felt arm's length-ish. It was like I kept getting pricked in the heart. It was like, no, you're still trying to push this thing off. Um, so I finally landed on what you see in the title, embracing the power of poverty. And you go, what? That's stupid. What do you know of poverty? Well, a lot. I grew up extremely poor. We'll go through that more in detail as these episodes progress. And... Those experiences have undoubtedly shaped me as a 44-year-old man now. Man, you're a geezer. I can't believe we're even listening to you. What's your TikTok? Um, man, if you're over 21, you're just totally irrelevant. So those experiences shaped me. And I've been trying to run away from them and repackage them into palatable pieces 
for the purpose of why, I have no idea other than to put on this like finely curated image of, oh, I've figured it out. <laughs> so I sat down and I said, you know what? Taking this body keeps the score principle of clearly communicating things as you experienced them, like what you were feeling, what your body was sensing during those times, that's embracing. And so I said, you know what? We're not going to understand this thing in its entirety. We're not just going to add an arm's length, sort of like pretentiously explore it as in like the third person. Oh, I wonder what it's like to be on food stamps. Oh, I wonder what it's like to pick up cans on the side of the road in order to get dinner that night. Hmm, let's think. No, I went through those things. I'm going to embrace them because they happened to me. And in them happening to me, in that actual moment, I felt and experienced some very strong emotions and had some very formative thoughts take shape. So instead of trying to dance around the edges with this thing, I'm just going to embrace it. I'm embracing the power of poverty. And you go, oh, this sounds like a prosperity gospel. No, we're going to embrace all facets of it. I'm embracing the negative. There are a lot of powerful negatives that come with poverty. And if you are in poverty or have been in poverty, you know how strong those chains are. The mental chains, the feelings of hopelessness, the feelings of I'm never going to escape this situation. I'm never getting out of this situation. This is final. This is for eternity. I am destined to be stuck in this miserable environment for my the remainder of my days here on this miserable speck of dust flinging through a universe without expanse. I think that makes sense without expanse. I don't know what I'm talking about. There is some powerful negativity to, po to poverty, and we're going to embrace that on Muthanomics. There's also some incredibly powerful positivity that comes out of poverty. There are some very practical, useful, positive motivators that can be formed in the furnace of poverty. So we're going to embrace those. And then the other thing that we're going to embrace, and this one, this one is going to probably be an exploring um, because I've been thinking about this for the better part of a year and I'm still incredibly not clear. <laughs> um, but I'm just going to pull up these two verses and there's something here. There's something here. Because what I'm not going to say here, this, this podcast is not going to be, Muthanomics is not going to be, hey, do X, Y, and Z and you'll move from po poverty to prosperity. This is not necessarily focused on material excess. It's not what I'm after here. I'm not after, oh, listen to me and you'll get material excess. You'll have the Lambo and the G-Wagon 
and the South Beach condo and a million fall. No, I'm not, I'm not talking about material excess, okay? Most of this is going to be centered in, oh man, I put the chihuahua in the garage and she's still going bananas. She must hear somebody outside. So, hey, you're just going to have to roll with it. I try to set up the most professional podcasting studio I can create and having a home office, it just goes sideways sometimes. So, yeah, welcome to Barking Chihuahua. Um, we thought almost died around Thanksgiving, but it turns out she just had some allergy. So, praise God for that, I suppose. Um, yeah, this isn't this isn't a gimmicky, like, like Tony Robbins kind of thing where, you know, oh, I'm going to go out and rent beat rent beachside mansions by the hour and film videos in them to give the appearance that I'm prosperous materially so that I can hawk my bill of goods to you. No, what I'm really after, and this is what I've discovered as being the most important thing over the last year, is moving from soul poverty, moving from emotional poverty, moving from a deficit of love into prosperity with your soul, prosperity with your mind, prosperity with your spirit, prosperity with generosity and charity and love. That's primarily what I'm after here. Um, because let's be honest, circumstances are unfreaking predictable. Okay? So to sit here and say, if you follow these things, you can dictate exact circumstantial outcomes is probably the dumbest thing ever. And if anybody's telling you that, um, I wouldn't listen to them for much longer. So there's, there, that's not the focus. The, the, the focus is not going from physical poverty to physical wealth. The primary focus here at Muthanomics is moving from spiritual, soul, mental, emotional, relational poverty and moving the needle on those things towards soul prosperity, love prosperity, relational prosperity. And yeah, there's going to be practical things because the book of Proverbs itself is full of practical things like go to the ant thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. A little sleep, a little slumber, and poverty will come upon you like a thief in the night. I mean, there's, so there's, yeah, there's going to be practical stuff. But that secondary, I wanted to, I wanted to articulate secondarily, so it kind of came out weird. That secondary to, that's weird. I wanted to put an emphasis on a four-syllable word, and it only came out as a three-syllable word. <laughs> Mistimed. Um, there's an emphasis on the immaterial first and foremost. Because if you don't have the immaterial correct, it doesn't matter what you get materially. And I can attest to this with numerous examples. There was a guy in Tampa. Um, if you Google a story, it's terrible. He lived in one of the most exclusive country clubs in the area. Um, you know, had all the appearances of wealth, had all the appearances of success. But it was all a facade. He was bleeding money left and right, making terrible investments. And he got to the point where he was out of cash and he couldn't keep up the lifestyle anymore. So what did he do? He didn't have the balls to just, you know, hey, I'm going to go, you know, jump off a bridge or, you know, cat myself. I mean, he decided, oh, you know what? I'm going to kill my two teenagers and my wife 
light my entire house on fire with gasoline tanks and firecrackers and then shoot myself. Um, there's another story in Tampa, similar thing, dude worth $100 million, tried everything under the sun to make himself happy. Affairs, women, boats, fancy houses, yachts, cars, ended up killing himself. So please do not listen to this and go, oh, if I listen to Muthanomics, I'm going to become a gazillionaire. No, because becoming a gazillionaire is not going to satisfy you. But moving the needle from soul and emotional and relational poverty to soul, emotional, relational prosperity, which is immaterial, that will satisfy you. So the thing here that we're going to explore, which is going to kind of somewhere, I don't know if it's going to make its way into every episode, but this is kind of like the foundational concept that I've been really thinking hard on the last year and reading about and still feel like I don't even understand it is Paul the Apostle says in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 for ye yes I'm reading it from the old King Jimmy for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor that through his poverty ye might be rich. There is a very head-scratching, mysterious, infinitely perplexing conundrum here that somewhere between Christ's poverty, there is a powerful connection to our richness. And you go, oh, I am going to be a gazillionaire. <laughs> no, there's a there's a connection between Christ's poverty and our immaterial richness, our eternal richness. It's a very mysterious thing. Um you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 24, Paul the apostle says Christ the power of God. So you ask, oh, came up with, you know, embracing the power of poverty. There's something here, just on a human level, personally, experientially speaking, there's some very powerful, poverty powerfully impacted my life, both negatively and positively. That's just on a physical level. And we'll talk about that. We're going to explore that. We're going to look at the negative sides of that, the positive sides of that. But on an immaterial level, on a spiritual level, on an eternal level, there is also a very peculiar connection between Christ's poverty and his power. And those things impacting our immaterial richness. So that we're not going to fully understand. That we're not going to put a bow on it bink, and wrap it up. Um, and for those in the know with that joke, you're in the know. And there's actually only one other person. <laughs> talk about <laughs> talk about an exclusive inside joke. <laughs> Put a bow on it. Bink. Um, there's only one other person in the world. <laughs> 
that will understand that joke. And it's the funniest freaking thing in the history of the world. <laughs> oh my goodness. What was that? That was like, oh geez, that was inauguration year 2009. I was, yeah, because that was when Obama got inaugurated and I was out of town doing some work for this guy. <laughs> And put a bow on it, Bink came in. Holy cow. I, we were up till one in the morning, literally crying. I've never laughed that hard, ever. Oh man, my abs were getting sore just thinking of it. We were in his basement just in tears. <laughs> oh, what an exclusive inside joke. You're, you're an elitist, what, a, what an elitist pig. You're not one percent. You're point zero 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 one percent with your jokes. Well, hey, that's just sometimes how the ball bounces. So there you go. There's muthanomics moving forward. Muthanomics embracing the power of poverty, and maybe the dog's barking at me. Maybe she's like, "Who's this strange podcasting voice? I haven't heard it in months." Um, and here's the thing. I'm just gonna say because in this culture we're in. People are inevitably, especially people under 30, they have inevitably, a swath of them, just say that, I don't know if it's a majority percentage-wise, but a swath of people under 30, under 35, will look at my profile picture, or they'll look at my Instagram feed, and they'll say, you're six foot seven, you're white, you're blonde, you have blue eyes, you have a wife, four loving children, you play tennis, you have, what are you talking about? You're, you're appropriating poverty, you don't understand your privilege. And all I will say is this, all I will say is this, in my experience, I can tell you that as a child, when we went into a big lots, to buy a box of garden vegetable crackers or a box of buffalo chicken barbecue cheese crackers on the clearance shelf at 33 cents a box, you know what never happened? The manager at the checkout never said, oh, wait, 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 you're white. Here, let me, let me upgrade you to a gift certificate to a steakhouse down the street. No, they gladly took our 66 cents plus tax and sent us on our merry way. And my sisters and I ate garden vegetable crackers and the most disgusting barbecue buffalo chicken cheese crackers you could imagine for our meals for that week. When we pulled into, in my dad's jalopy, of a 1958 piece of crap truck with a $300 camper on the back of it. And we were headed eastbound on I-40 for several miles. And for several miles, you see these billboards. In 40 miles, Route 66, best RV stop. In 25 miles, we even have a pool. In 15 miles, there's a little putting green. And as a kid, you're like, man, this is gonna be this is gonna be the best freaking RV stop ever. This is gonna be way better than the truck stop. And we exit 
and my sisters and I are building up this excitement. Oh man, this is gonna be awesome. We can swim and we can play mini golf. This will be so much fun. And we get off and we turn right and we pull up to the gate and the gate guard looks at us and says, get the F out of here. This is for RVs, not your piece of trash, rusted out pickup truck and, and trashy camper. No, sir, turn around. He didn't look at us and go, oh, wait a second. You're, you, you have white skin. Oh, please come in and enjoy all the amenities. They kicked our asses out of there faster than you could blink. Here's my point. Here's my point. Free market capitalism, you know the only color it cares about? Green. It's the only color that free market capitalism cares about. So anybody under 30, under 35, who's been brainwashed into this garbage social justice bullshit, you can kiss my very white pale behind. <laughs> when we were, I, I mean, yeah, I got more experiences. And you know what? I'm going to share this one because it, it's, it's impactful. When we were picking up cans along the New Mexican highways to take to a pawn shop on 4th Street in Albuquerque, Osuna Pawn, good old Mike and Terry. When we did that, you know what Mike and Terry never did? When we would bring in a couple garbage bag fulls of nasty Indian reservation beer cans. Oh my goodness, you're such a racist. You know what they never did? They never looked at us and said, oh, you're Caucasian. Here, take whatever you want. No, they looked at us with pity and they were like, it's 67 cents a pound, dude. Here's 15 bucks. And my dad would take the 15 bucks and go buy himself a case of the cheapest crappy beer he could find and buy us a couple boxes of off-brand mac and cheese. And that was our dinner. So don't give me this stupid skin color nonsense. Ay, ay, ay. I could go on and on on that. Don't get me started. Do not get me started. America values green. So, I don't care what color you are. I don't care. Two-parent home, single-parent home, foster child, third-world country. God is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't care what your background is. He doesn't care what your skin color is. He doesn't care what your parental situation is at home. But he does care about the immaterial nature of your soul. He does care about the prosperity of your soul and your mind and your heart. And I believe that there is somewhere in this mess of poverty Somewhere in this mess, there, is a, there are powerful connections to be made that, yes, will have some practical import into how you live your life and what you do with your time and what you pursue with your energy and your resources and how you spend your money and how you live and how you waste your time and, or, or make your time productive. There's, yes, there's some sort of productive, practical elements in this thing. But most importantly, there are soul and material elements in this thing. And we're going to explore those. We're going to embrace. I'm embracing the power of my experiences in poverty and alcoholism with a parent. 
and you're welcome to come along for that ride. Um, but know that I'm not going to placate or kowtow to political correctness or take up talking points that are absolutely 100% devoid from not only my experiences, but from the fact that America just cares about green. So there you go. We're back in the saddle. Muthanomics 54. We are embracing the power of poverty. Look forward to the journey. See where it takes us. Have a good one.